0: welcome to the unfiltered femme podcast your new world to get the lowdown on all things pleasure sexuality the mysterious female body dating relationships and everything you need to know to step into your most unfiltered unapologetic empowered and turned on self i'm steph morris a love sex and intimacy coach and along with some incredibly fabulous guests i'm here to spill the tea on those topics that are typically hush hush the juicy things that you want to know all about that have maybe been a little bit too shy to talk about. Think of me as your fearless guide and partner in crime, creating a space for the unfiltered, the raw, the authentic chats where nothing is off limits and there's no such thing as too much. The Unfiltered Femme podcast is all about breaking down those walls and celebrating what it means to be an unfiltered feminine being. I hope you're ready for a wild ride. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Femme podcast. I am so excited for today's episode, which stems from an Instagram Live. So the guest today, the fabulous guest that I have with me today is Sarah Blake, who is an amazing friend. She is here locally in Toronto and she is a food freedom and body image coach who works with women to recover from the diet binge cycle and unlock the power and pleasure of being in a feminine body. Sarah and I did an Instagram live together last week and it was so powerful and so potent that I was like, this needs to live on forever on the internet. We need to have this conversation here on the podcast to dive into pleasure and her and I have very different angles of which we work with women, but it all ties together and it's so powerful. So Sarah, welcome, welcome. Share a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your story and your journey. Yay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here, Steph. I'm
1: so excited to continue the conversation because honestly, last week's live, we could have kept going. (laughs) When we start talking, we could just keep going. So it'll be fun to kind of do it again and also, you know, see what comes up in our conversation today. But yeah, so to share with my story, so I have always had a challenging relationship with my body and ever since i was a child i was very self-conscious about my body the size of my body what my body could do and my relationship with food and i had a lot of women around me who also had challenging relationships with food and as we all know you know things we see in childhood things we absorb in childhood tend to show up in our patterns later in life so around the time that i was in my mid teens I was so convinced that if I was just skinny enough, I would finally be happy and have a perfect life because at that time I was also a very high achiever. And so it felt like I could control having a perfect life and that my body was like the one last piece that needed to be in place because I got good grades. I had pretty good friends. I was in a good group. I had a, you know, obviously some issues with family and personal things, but of all the things that I could control, it felt like my body was the last piece that I needed to put in place. So I went on a very restrictive diet for about two years and I ended up losing my period. And that was kind of the first sign that maybe things were going in the wrong direction health-wise. At the time, I thought dieting was the secret to health because if you think about all the magazines that were around in the in the, t- the earlier 2000s and the t- 2010s, it was all about, you know, Your health equals being in control of your food, not eating too much, you know, making sure you're following a certain plan. So it was very confusing when not only did I lose my period, but then as we were going for checkups and trying to figure what was going on, because my period had been gone for a year, my doctor said, look, your vital signs are also showing that your body is shutting down. And that was a real shock because like I said, I thought I was doing everything the healthy way. So this was a big wake up call where my doctor pretty much said, you need to eat more. Like I can tell based on your chart history, because she could see that I had lost a lot of weight all of a sudden. And I was getting to the like lower end of the healthy weight spectrum. Actually, this is something I want to point out. Technically, I was still in the healthy weight BMI but that oh, weight was yeah. clearly too low for my body. So I just want to put this out for women out there who yeah. are going for a specific goal weight. You don't know if that weight's actually going to be healthy for you. Yeah. So that being said, my process of recovery was also very challenging because I went from dieting and restrictive eating into binge eating as kind of the, the repercussion of that sort of like, you know, we go, we yo-yo, we go on a roller coaster where we're either doing one or the other. So it was a cycle. And after a couple of years of that and gaining all of the weight back and more, I was once again in this place where I was not happy with my body, even though my health markers were all better. And I finally decided one day, okay, I need to do this differently. The way that I've been reproaching food in my body hasn't been working. Clearly, it was too far on one extreme, and now it's too far on the other extreme. How can I find a happy middle? So thankfully, due to some Google searches where I was looking up things like how to lose weight without dieting and how to stop hating my body. And they were, you know, even though these Google searches were still coming from this place of frustration and desperation, I was very clear that I didn't want to do the diet thing, do the things that I was doing before. And I was kind of bypassing all of those typical diet culture messages. And one day I came across a whole new side of the internet. And it was these women, mainly coaches and nutritionists who were talking about things like intuitive eating and living in tune with your body, following your cycle, understanding your cycle and learning about the changes that your energy and your mood and even your appetite go through through your cycle. And I basically discovered the whole world of coaches, um, especially coaches who are focused on, you know, the feminine and the body and living with pleasure. And once I started to adopt and absorb all of the things that they were sharing, everything changed for me. My food issues went away completely, like now I can eat totally normally and I've been fully recovered from both restrictive and binge eating for the last eight years, things in my life started to click. Like I started being able to, you know, wear what I wanted and do the things I wanted and pursue my passions without hiding. Cause food and body stuff often makes you hide and feel like you have to, you're always waiting for your life to begin, you're waiting for something to click into place. So so many good things happened. I met my future husband. I got to move to New York for a couple of years to do my master's degree in creative writing. Like it was like all of my dreams finally came true once I once I healed my relationship with my body. And I know what we're going to get into this with with this is that a big part of that was pleasure and actually feeling my body and getting out of my head and just thinking about my body and criticizing my body and into feeling and sensation. And so all of that led to where I am today and who I am today, which is a coach who helps women pretty much go on the same journey as me, but recover a lot more quickly and
0: painlessly than what
1: I had to go through.
0: (laughs) Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm like taking notes over here because you said a couple of things that were very profound. The first thing that I want to reference that you said, which I feel like probably like 97% of women can relate to. Maybe the number's even higher. If I'm skinny enough, I'll then be happy. Like how many of us have really deeply believed that for so, so long? Even teenagers are believing that. Like we were taught that at such a young age from the magazines and the messaging and the movies and all of those sorts of things. And it's just so sad that that's, the society and like the reality of the world that we live in that we embody that as a, as a belief. So thank you for sharing that. And we know that that's not truth. And we hear time and time again from your story and from my story and from every woman's story that it's actually the other way around. Like it's not about skinny, but when you become happy and when you fall in love with yourself and heal a relationship with your body, and this ties into the second thing that you said, which I had goosebumps as you shared this, My dreams came true and I healed the relationship with my body. Like, wow, that's incredible and so powerful and so just mind-blowing that that has the power to change everything. And we are going to dive into this because there are a lot of things that we can touch on here around the relationship to your body, because that really does lay the foundation for the relationship that we have with everything else in life, because everything, we're relating to everything and everybody in this world. And so transforming that relationship, which often women see as this shallow surface level thing, yet it's deeply profound and it is the reflection of everything else in your your life. And so I'd love to touch on, before we dive into that thread of pleasure, What is really coming up here is this lack of trust that women have with their bodies, which is why they fall into these restrictive or binge eating or control. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, when a lot of things in life are feeling out of control, or when there is some extreme trauma or abuse or something really massive happened in in a human's life, they can look to take control back in those areas of life and so really at the foundation of this is this lack of trust and so I just love you to touch on that a little bit of what did that look like for you like how did you start to find the magic and connect with that wisdom of your body and start to build that trust again because especially the journey that you've been on and losing your period and being kind of living by the scales and living by those numbers, like how did you reform that relationship to find this deep place of trust so that you could intuitively eat and trust your body's signals on that journey?
1: Honestly, I think that, and this is like, sounds so, I don't know, simple maybe, or like small, but I, I had to start with experimenting. Like I didn't overnight go from, oh my gosh, I hate my body. I don't understand it. I'm fighting it. It doesn't understand me and what I want. Why won't it obey me kind of thing to then being like, absolutely everything is perfect. And I know my body is going to be, you know, a hundred percent. I had to dip my toe into the water. And I think for women who are listening, like, don't think that you have to go from you know wherever you've been and whatever you've been through like Steph was just touching on with trauma and experiences that really shaped your your nervous system and your your relationship with your body and your feeling of safety in your own skin. Don't think you have to go from that to then being like this pleasure goddess who like you know just like eats you know grapes and lounges around on an afternoon and has the perfect leisurely existence, right? It doesn't work like that. So I started doing little experiments. And I think this was really helpful. So I guess I had gotten to this point where I was so much at rock bottom that I was like, what do I have to lose? And I kind of think having that attitude can be such a gift. Because when you really feel like, look, I've gone from extreme to extreme. What do I have to lose now? Nothing. Like I know that I'll either end up at the same place I am or somewhere better, because I really can't get and it it really can't get any worse. And so what I started to do was kind of test my body to see what would happen. So I would have a day, for example, when I would try eating with my cravings, instead of kind of planning ahead what I was going to eat and just see like, okay, what if randomly this afternoon, I'm craving a pastry? What if I eat it? Is something gonna happen? I don't know, right? At that point I really didn't know at the beginning. Like I think for so long I had believed, yes, something terrible will happen or this is going to lead to a binge or something like that. But as I just kind of stopped giving an F, I don't know if we can we swear swear on this podcast. Yes, we can. (laughs) Unfiltered Femme, what am I saying? (laughs) I basically like, yeah, I just had to like stop giving a fuck and just sort of being, you know, seeing what would happen. And once I once I did that. It was over time that I rebuilt that trust. So I think it can be those small moments and those small practices. Like have a day where you don't track your food or you don't count calories. The world's not gonna end, you know? Have a day where you just, instead of maybe doing the rigid workout that maybe you don't even like, but you've told yourself you have to, see what your body actually wants, how, how your body wants to move that day. See if, you know, you think, oh no, if I, if I eat dessert, it's gonna make me want to eat all of the dessert. If I eat a piece of chocolate, it's gonna make me wanna eat the whole chocolate bar. Maybe you think that, but actually try it out. See if you have a couple pieces of chocolate. What's gonna happen? Because so much of it is us assuming the outcome, and that comes from the lack of trust. You know, that comes from like, if I'm not controlling this, something bad's gonna happen. And we kind of have to start with these little experiments. And that's so much of the way that I try to structure my programs and work these days is like these little daily lessons or daily shifts because I think that doing too much too soon can really overwhelm us and it can make us again, go from extreme to extreme. So yeah, it was just these little experiments that I started to do to see to see what would happen. And then it got to this place where I realized, wow, this is all so much better than the way I was living before. And it became a habit of how I was being right. It stopped being things I was doing and it started becoming how I was being.
0: Mm, I love that so much. I think that is really powerful because we often fall into that trap of, I'm going to start fresh on Monday and I'm going to do all of the things I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to sleep for nine hours. I'm going to eat this way. And it's too much. It doesn't work that way. We have to have that intentionality around let's make one shift today and then tomorrow and then the next day and approaching it that way. And I loved the, or I love the approach of daily experiments. I think that's really cool. And I wanted to just share something because what you said here of what would just happen if you try out or like you follow that desire for the pastry or you follow the desire to do this kind of movement. This is something that, has been really powerful for me. So I used to subscribe, and I think people can resonate to this. I used to subscribe to the idea that you had to go to the gym for an hour. Like, where did this come from that we have to work out for 60 minutes to have a good workout. And I find that so fucking boring. Like I actually stopped going to the gym because I was like, I don't wanna be there for 60 minutes and I would resist it so much because the thought of an hour plus the procrastination time before, Mm -hmm. it would end up being like a two hour event for me because of it. Whereas now I have really approach movement in such a different way. I actually love more feminine based movement because that is the phase I'm in that feels really good. So when I go to the gym, like I went this morning, I get excited by the idea of going for 20 to 30 minutes. So in my mind, I say, I'm going to go to the gym for, I'm going to go for 20 minutes. And oftentimes I end up staying there for 30 minutes. Sometimes I can be there for 40 minutes if I feel like it. I'm not like super structured with it, but it feels so good to me. And my body is actually in the fittest space. I feel the strongest, the fittest and the healthiest I've ever been. And I'm working out probably like the least that I have ever worked out in my life. Though my relationship to my body is so different. I'm nourishing my body in a different way, but it's just so wild how it all comes back to the relationship and the intentionality and the trust that we have with our body. And so something that we talked about on, on our live the other day was, that recipe that I think people see or they have in their mind of input food for fuel outcome is x amount of like x amount of x dress size or x weight and people get so obsessed with x y equals z but that's not the way it works when it comes to food when it comes to the body when it comes to pleasure and eating. So can we just touch on that a little bit around why diet and nutrition is not enough for people and why it's not working. And then why this is a multi-billion dollar industry that keeps people hooked is because it doesn't work. So can you just share a little bit around that thread?
1: oh uh, yes. Oh my goodness. So the the statistic I think that we all need to really deeply ingrain in our brain is that 95% of diet attempts Now, I don't say 95% of people fail their diet because if you really think about it, if 95% of people are failing and like 95% of people don't fail most normal things, right? Like (laughs) most of the time, if something is typical for a human to do, 95% of people are not going to fail. So clearly the approach is, is wrong, right? beyond that, I think at least two thirds, and these are statistics that I think were a few from a few years ago. So maybe they're even updated now. I'm not sure, but at least two thirds of people gain more weight than they were before they started their diet after their diet attempt. So please just like put that in your brain, realize it's not you, you're, you are set up to fail, like Steph said. So what was the question before about the, oh yes, about the equation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just get right into it and this was something I said on the live as well. So many women think that the number one thing they need to do to manage their weight is manage food, like you were saying with the equation. And the thing we really neglect is that the number one thing we need to manage is stress. And so much of the stress that we create is because of all of the diet rules and ideas that we're subscribing to. So I told this story, I think, about I had a friend growing up who always had like the most stable weight. She never seemed to have issues with food. She was pretty active. She had like a normal life, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't obsessive over anything. She wasn't obsessive over eating healthy. She wasn't obsessive over working out and athletics and everything like that. She just kind of did it all so naturally. And when I thought about it one day, I realized, well, that's what I want. I don't want to be someone who like, perfectly tracks my calories. And that's how I got to a happy, healthy body. I want to be the person who just does it effortlessly. And I watched her one day as we were walking home from school, just eat a little Ziploc bag of five chocolate chip cookies. Like not even like organic or homemade chocolate <laughs> chip cookies, like literally grocery store bought chocolate chip cookies. And she just ate the bag and then threw it out. And that was it. And like moved on. Right. Right. And I was thinking, okay, so clearly she's not obsessing. She's not worried about this. What's the missing piece? And, and I realized, and first this was just a thought, and eventually it became my reality, was that the big difference between her and myself and all the other women who have really struggled with our body and weight is we always would make food mean something about us. So if I were the one eating the five chocolate chip cookies, I would have then said, oh my gosh, I'm so bad. I can't control myself around sugar. Oh, I had too many calories. Now I have to, you know, not have dessert for the rest of the week. I better, you know, eat half a portion size of dinner. It would like create all of these consequences. Now, in some ways, the actual consequences would set me up for worse results. But one of the big underlying threads is that the stress of having consequences in my head would Create havoc in my metabolism and my ability to be in that rest and digest state, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which is when your nervous system is actually able to properly absorb nutrients and metabolize the food that you're eating. You know, it would just wreak all of this havoc on my system and in my relationship with food. So I was like, now I want to become one of those people who can eat, you know, three cookies, four cookies, whatever I want, five cookies, and then just move on with my day, or who can eat pizza for lunch on a random weekday as I did yesterday and then move on and not make it mean something. So I think this is a thing. We've been, we've absorbed so many ideas that we have to be totally in control of all our actions and that there's like this giant, you know, equation happening in the sky or, or something where it's like, oh, you ate something bad. Now you're gonna gain five pounds and it just does not work that way. And if we can create more ease, and just focus on satisfaction then your weight will stabilize like it's just the truth they've done studies on intuitive eaters and they enjoy more weight stability than not only than people who are on strict diets but also than people who are what they call flexible dieters which is like maybe you're not doing like paleo or or keto or a specifically low carb diet but you'll tell yourself things like oh I had a cookie today I can't have it tomorrow But you don't know how you're going to feel tomorrow. You don't know what your body's going to ask for tomorrow, right? So even those people who are trying to control, even in little ways, actually have more weight fluctuations than people who eat purely intuitively, meaning you're letting your body, you're, you're responding to your body on a moment to moment basis. You're not creating like rules in advance. You're not telling yourself that you have to have consequences after what you've eaten. You're just letting yourself see how you feel. And I think that is such a difficult mindset to switch to because everything we've been told is the opposite of that. But that's why it works. Whereas 95% of diets fail, you know, it's like you do have to make that really significant, almost mind bending shift to get to that place where your body can just be stable and
0: land in the space that is happiest and healthiest for you. Hmm. Wow. That is so powerful. And I think you just think about it. Like if you're spending, we're eating, typically people are eating about three meals a day. Some people have many snacks in between is a big part of our daily life. How much mental energy are you spending on a daily basis, worrying and controlling and making up these rules that you have to, and consequences and meanings and stories around who you are and how you are as a human being based on the food that you are consuming and ordering, you know, or going to the grocery store, like that's a lot of time of your life and so much energy that you are exerting onto something that actually doesn't require that much energy output. And not only that, it's the labeling, right, of bad and wrong. And I think that's actually so negative for people because if you're eating something that is. Yes, maybe on a scale, not the healthiest thing to eat long-term. Let's compare it though. Like let's compare donuts to emotions for a second because it's the same thing with emotions. People label anger and sadness and rage and grief as bad because yes, on the spectrum, they're lower vibrational emotions. Same thing with sweets and treats and pastries. Are they the healthiest thing for you long-term? No. However, is eating a donut once in a month or once in a while when you feel like a yes to it, is that bad or wrong? No. Just like is feeling your sadness or your grief wrong? No. Where it gets challenging and troubling for people is when they have that addiction to said thing. So if you have that addiction to sugar or you have that addiction to feeling sadness and staying in the pain, which is a whole complex topic as to why people form emotional addictions it's a very real thing but it's, it's actually similar to sugar addictions and these other forms of addictions that we can have we can inflict that suffering on ourselves intentionally so it's really important for people to remember that those things emotions and donuts are not bad in healthy in small doses they're actually necessary and healthy in a part of life and we can get so much pleasure from from these experiences so i hope you like the correlation of- no, sadness. So,
1: <laughs> well, I, what I was thinking too was it's the same thing with binging too and and with like having your emotions go out of control if you're bottling it up for so long, you're gonna have a total meltdown or some kind of blow up, right? Even in a relationship, like if you if you let all of these little moments of uh, resentment or hurt build up, one day you're gonna have this conversation where your partner is gonna be like, "Whoa, where did all this come from?" It's the same thing with so many women who have been on that diet in that diet mentality for a long time, right? Where it's like you have avoided the donuts for so long or have labeled them as wrong, and then one day you eat twelve. In a sitting, and you're like, where did that come from? Well, it's because you weren't allowing your body to have them when you actually wanted them. And it's just built up and built up until you do lose control. So there's something that I talk about in my work called the paradox of control. And it's basically that the more we try to control, the more likely we are to get out of control. And the less we try to control, the more we don't even have to think about control. I mean, it's not even about being in control with food or being in control of your emotions. It's more getting to this place where control isn't the issue because you're just able to ride the waves, right? You're able to ride the waves of your cravings and notice when you really want a food and you know it's going to satisfy you or when actually I want something different or I'm really looking for love or I'm looking for joy or I'm looking for pleasure and you get to that point where it's like, maybe it's not the donut that I need, right? Or maybe sometimes it is and it's the same thing with your emotions. Sometimes maybe you need to cool off and take a walk or you know, dance or do some breath work. And other times, maybe you need to actually have a conversation with the person. But eventually it becomes this process where it's so much more natural to figure out what you need. And it's not about like all of this planning and strategizing in your head about the best way to approach it which like you were saying before, all comes down to that lack of self-trust. So it really is all tied together in that way. But I think that it's so important to normalize like the human condition does work like that with control. The more you're restricting and holding something really tightly, the more likely it's going to just completely blow up in your face.
0: (laughs) And it's kind of like the laws of the universe. So we can now relate diet and food to orgasms, to money, to donuts, like it all ties together, right? Because the same thing, the more we try and control, if you've ever experienced scarcity or lack in terms of money, the more that you control. And the more that you're like, I need this thing. I need this outcome or I need this. I'm trying to control to make this much money. You push it away. The more that you try and control, if you've ever tried to have an orgasm, like you're so you're so goal oriented that you're like trying to like tense your body and squeeze it out. First of all, it's not satisfying, but the more you try to control it and push it out, it's like, it doesn't work. And it's like the more you try and control to allow your bank account to grow, it doesn't work. You have to get to that place of surrender. So it all is coming back to trust and it also all comes back to childhood conditioning and it's complex yet at the same time we talked about this, it's also simple. So Mm -hmm. humans are incredibly complex. There is a lot more to us than I think the average human being gives themselves credit for. We have traumas, we have conditioning, we have the programming from parents, religion, society, teachers, upbringing, which has formed us to how we are living now. So we have this programming like a computer that was programmed under 10 years old, that we are now living and undoing and upgrading the software every month and every year, yet at the same time, it is simple. And so when we can get to this place of being like, I actually can't have controlled what has happened to me up till this point, but I am going to take responsibility moving forward. And I am going to take this approach of simplicity because it doesn't have to be so complicated. We don't have to do paleo for the first three months of the year then keto, then this, then that, like it's actually very simple. Once we come into this place of trust and once we get to know our bodies and start to listen to the cravings, because the cravings are our bodies letting us know what we need, right? Like our bodies know what they need to eat, how to nourish ourselves, how to heal, and we can really use that information to build up the trust that we have with ourselves build more satisfaction and start to get more pleasure from our food. So let's talk about this notion of food equals fuel. I know you don't agree with that and then kind of dive into that thread of pleasure around food and how we can get there.
1: Yes. Okay. I love this. Yes. This came up in the live and I, I just like being able to share about this because there, so I will say there is this one approach to the idea of food equals fuel, which is just basically saying, look, you need enough fuel to fuel your body to get through the day. And that I totally agree with. I think when people are saying food is fuel, what, sometimes what they mean is just that think of it as your source of energy. That is true. However, there are limitations to this metaphor because eating for humans is not the same as gassing up your car. Right? Your car does not have experience of taste, it does not have experience of scents and textures, and it doesn't have a craving for a specific thing, right? It can experience satisfaction or satiation. Realistically, if you don't gas up your car, your car will be fine. You just won't be able to go anywhere, right? Whereas if you don't nourish your body, you won't be fine. So there are there are just so many things missing when we make it as simple as food equals fuel. And what I also find is Sometimes people get hung up on the food equals fuel, meaning that they have to be perfectionistic about food. I've seen a lot of influencers say things like, oh, because food equals fuel, like you won't don't fuel your car with like crappy, you know, the worst possible gas you want to give your your luxury car premium gas or whatever. And like that also not. The best thing, because again, it's not the same as, okay, if I put the best fuel in my car, it's gonna go faster. With humans, food is a lot more complex and there's no such thing as the best food. There's maybe the best food in a moment, right? So if you have a day where you haven't eaten enough carbs, for breakfast and lunch, the best food might be a bowl of pasta that night, right? It's all related to what you've had before and what you're going to have after and kind of what your body's asking for. So many things influence our nutrient nutritional needs, like where we are in our cycle, um, the amount of physical activity we've done. I even remember one of the nutritionists that i worked with in some of my programs, because she has such a beautiful approach to food, shared a story once of she hadn't had dairy for a while and all of a sudden she was having these really strong cravings for cheese. Mm. And instead of judging her, herself for being, oh my gosh, why am I craving cheese? I'm not eating dairy. This is so bad. Like what's really the craving underneath that, which some people might do if, they've belie- if they believe that dairy and, and cheese are, are terrible and the devil and all that kind of thing, which is, you know, how some people talk about food instead of that, she just started eating cheese and seeing what happened. And then in her next round of, I don't know if it was blood work or some kind of functional test, she found out that her body was burning through calcium at this like wildly accelerated rate for some reason, right? So different health conditions can create these cravings and we don't have to judge them all the time. So with food, not just being fuel, we have to remember also that we are sensual beings and Food is also a source of joy in our lives. All of us have been programmed to see food as something that's around about celebration, right? We have birthday cake, right? We have special meals around holidays. And it can be a problem if we see food as our only source of pleasure. And maybe that's something we'll get into as well, because Mm. a lot of food issues come from not because you're enjoying food too much. It's actually because you're not enjoying it enough and you're not having another enough other things that also bring you pleasure. So a lot of people think, oh, I have a food addiction. And it's actually like, no, you're just asking food to fill a void that it isn't food's job to fill. Right. Mm-hmm. You're actually asking for connection and freedom and love from this thing that isn't designed to give you that. So mm-hmm. food has a lot more emotional and sensory complexity than just being like fuel. And I think restoring food to its natural place means, yes, eating enough, but also allowing ourselves to experience the sensuality connected with food because that is the thing that's often missing that creates satisfaction. So eating enough can create satiation, but I even know people and I've had clients who are saying, I'm eating enough, but I'm still having cravings for chips or I'm still having cravings for cookies. And it's like, you're eating to satiation, but you're not eating for satisfaction, meaning you're not eating the things that you actually want. So there are those two layers to it. And the satisfaction piece is really where the pleasure and the enjoyment comes in and the the sensuality around eating comes in.
0: So good. (laughs) Like I have so many threads here. One, I want to touch on about the story around calcium. What if we dropped the labels completely around food? Because that story of that woman who so beautifully listened to her body had to put her ego aside, probably, to dive into, again, eating dairy. And I, I cut out dairy, dairy for many, many years and it was a, a big struggle for me and it was actually kind of painful emotionally for me to start eating it again. It was a bit of a struggle because I was so against it. Um, And I think that this is the problem when people obsess so much over labels and this isn't just in terms of food, human beings love to label themselves and to, because we want belonging, right? So if I'm a vegan, I can be part of the vegan community and I have a sense of belonging and that's great. And there's obviously more complexity to it because there's the ethical approach as well and as well as the nutritional approach. But the, the struggle with that or the trouble for people is that they are then sometimes bypassing their body and focusing more on ego because of the label than actually being able to listen to their body so really the invitation is what labels can we start to drop and just be intuitive and not have to put ourselves into a box in some other area of life aka with food where we are then not able to truly listen to what's going on internally so i wanted to touch on that because people love the labels like I even know somebody who was like a diehard vegan and then eventually their health was deteriorating as often happens with people who are vegans for a long time Yeah, they can stop the health like short term it seems to be very good for you long term not so good you get got depletions in different nutrients and stuff this person then was like I'm now an intuitive eater, but was like, die hard about the label. Yeah, I'm on the intuitive diet. And it's like, how about you just drop the labels altogether and you just say, I listen to my body and I trust my body to guide me. Like, why do you have to give yourself another label? I don't, I don't get it personally. I'm very anti-labels.
1: And that's one of the reasons why when I when I talk to people about this approach, I, I just call it body-based eating. Like, mm. do, we, do I glean a lot from the intuitive eating approach? Yes. Are there other things that I'm drawing from in my work? Yes. But at the end of the day, like you said, I'm personally not intuitive eating certified because there are things even I see in that approach that I'm like, Okay, there are some things missing and there are some things we might need to shift and change. So I'm not here to, you know, preach like one way of doing it. I'm just really what I see is our bodies were designed to know how to eat like all other my my trainer actually said this um, in a post once because she uh, she has had a really difficult relationship with food. And because of her athletic past, like that was, you know, even more elevated, I guess. But she was saying of all the creatures on earth, humans are the ones that think we have to like plan ahead and create all these rules around food. Whereas all the other animals, they just know what to eat. Right. Mm. But it's not like they label it. Like we can label it. Oh, this animal's a herbivore. This animal's an omnivore. And that's all true. But the animal themselves is not attached to the label. Right. They're not thinking like, okay, I have to eat this way. They're eating just the way that their body is guiding them to. And I think that, all humans, when you were an infant, when you were a fetus, right, you knew how to self-direct your growth and your body's functioning through taking in exactly the nutrients that you needed, right? We Parents are all instructed to let their, their children, to let their babies give them signals, and then you're supposed to feed the baby on demand. Why? Because at least for babies, we all have agreed that they know what they need to eat and how much, and then something happens when we're growing up where all of a sudden we forget that we all came to an agreement that as babies, we are programmed with knowing how much and what we need to eat, and then we lose that somehow and it doesn't make sense. Why do we trust babies more than adults with That's making wild. eating decisions right it's It is wild when you really think about it that way, like little babies, their parents are responding to their to to their children's hunger cues. And they even actually say now with toddlers as well, toddlers may have wildly different appetites from day to day, but over time, when researchers have tracked that they get all the nutrients they need if you just let them kind of eat what they want from day to day over time. So some days they may want all the fruit, you know, Mm -hmm. and they only want fruit and other days, maybe they only want carbs and other days, maybe they only want chicken or something, but over time they're actually getting everything they need. And again, it's just this, this matter of, we have all been brainwashed to lose this trust in our body and to forget that we come programmed, designed with the ability to self-direct our eating. So that more than anything
0: is what I I really believe. Yeah, and thinking about the children example, then comes in the extra layer of complexity when parents say you have to finish all your food on the plate yep. and the child might be like, but mommy, I'm full. I don't want it anymore. And it's like you have to eat that to finish to get dessert, and then that also makes children bypass their own trust right. in their bodies, and that's how it can start at such a young age, right? It's it's very complex.
1: That was the very first I've identified. Like doing this work on my on my own, I've identified that that those were the first instances I started to lose trust in my body were from listening wow. to other people. And I actually even, I think I have a poster, a reel about this. It was listening to uh, parents and authority figures about finishing my plate because I wanted to be a good, obedient child. And what I learned with that was it's better to listen to the authorities around food than myself. Who are the authorities as you grow up? It's diet culture, right? Mm -hmm. It's the trainers and the nutritionists and the, you know, influencers who seem to, know more than you and you just just naturally trust them because maybe they have a body that you want or maybe they tell you that they've been to school or they've studied these things without knowing your context your situation your history you start following their information and then what happens well it probably is not going to work for you or satisfy you because it's not speaking or, or meeting your specific needs And then you end up feeling completely out of sorts with food and like, why isn't this working for me? Why isn't this feeling good? Why aren't I getting results? Yeah. That's how it's there's no
0: there's no one size fits all. And we gotta have that compassion for our younger selves and also compassion for our parents who did their best based on the the generation and the era that they grew up. Like for a lot of those, like our parents was that post-war era where it's very different. Like food was scarce. They you taught to enjoy every bite or there's children starving in Africa. I'm sure everybody heard their parents say things like that and they did their best, but that's why there's a lot of undoing and unconditioning that we have to do now to take responsibility for what was handed to us. The second piece I really wanted to touch on from what you shared before we go back to the loop around satiation, satisfaction, and pleasure is... You said we are looking to food to fill a void that it's not supposed to fill. And I have a story to share on this because that is so on point. A lot of people have this or form this habit of emotional eating because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to process our emotions because we're not taught how to sit with our emotions. They're pretty scary when, when we're in them and we don't have the tools. So I want to share a story on this because- on Friday, I was having a challenging day. One of those days, you know, you just wake up and you're in a foul mood. I was on my period. Everything was annoying me. The internet was, as you know, on the live, like the internet was fucking up. I couldn't even have a phone call on Friday. And if there is anything about living in this day and age, when the internet doesn't work, it can be, if you're in if you're in a fragile state, it can be infuriating. And I just was getting set off. And it was bringing up this intense rage in my body. And obviously I've done a lot of this work. I'm very comfortable with my emotions. I have all the tools to process it. But as I was sitting with this rage that was triggered by the internet, but clearly there was something deeper inside of me that was really coming through and I was feeling it. My initial thought was, I wanna numb. Like it was so intense for me. I literally was like, I either want to go to the store and get get a bottle of wine I want to go and get a packet of cookies or like chocolate or chips, like something to just eat, or I need to find something else. Like that is the default, even for me, like, and the work that I do, that was my default thought in my mind. And then I considered, I was like, if I drink, I don't drink very much. So if I was like, if I was to drink, why would I pay to poison my body. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat sugar because I was like, I don't actually want it. I had some, I had some like chips and pizza last week and that felt really good. And I actually followed it, but this is just an emotional response. So instead I did this really powerful two hour breathwork session where I expressed and really moved through so much grief and rage and sadness and anger that I had inside of my body and felt so good afterwards but and I was so proud of myself but I thought gosh it's really challenging for people because they don't have this these skills and they don't have these tools and it would have been much easier for me to just go and have a glass of wine or buy some sugar to temporarily fill that void but exactly like you so poignantly said that would be looking for at looking to food to fill a void that it's not supposed to fill and there are other ways but this is where it really is required for us to take responsibility and find the tools to support us with those deeper emotions because food is the surface level and it's the easiest thing to go to than to go i'm going to spend the next hour instead of working to cry and to to rage it out so i wanted to share that because it is it is a challenge it is a challenge being a human with such complex emotions yeah Um, i love that Yeah. So let's dive into now pleasure around food. So I actually would love to know what does it mean to you? What does pleasure mean to you in general?
1: Oh my goodness. What a question. I love this. So I okay, I'm going to share this. This is actually something I share in in one of my programs and I'm planning to put this lesson into an upcoming program as well. Because I think that when I was growing up, I really believed that Pleasure always meant like hedonism and like pursuing pleasure meant you only live for pleasure. And I think that's why for the longest time my life revolved around control, which was this whole sense of like, if I keep myself busy enough and doing all the right things, I don't need pleasure because I can just focus on, you know, performing and that will be satisfying. And then that wasn't satisfying either. So I'm like, where is that middle ground where I can enjoy my life and and get a lot of gratification out of it without, you know, then just becoming someone who only pursues pleasure. And I actually had a moment and this is going to sound nerdy, (laughs) but it was in one of my philosophy classes. I was a philosophy major in my undergrad and I was introduced to this concept called Epicureanism. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. it's this ancient no. philosophy that now this is how I sort of approach pleasure with my clients who resist pleasure. Cause again, they think that it's going to be, it's going to take over their lives and they're going to only do things that feel good. And sometimes we fear like, if we only do things that feel good to us, what about other people? Are we going to Are we going to get things done? Are we going to ruin our relationships because we're only going after art, what we want? So Mm. because those are my fears and they're the fears of a lot of the people that I work with and also around food, people think that if they start eating pleasurable foods, they're only going to eat chocolate and chips, like you were saying, and never actually eat the more nutrient dense foods. So this concept of Epicureanism was basically this philosophy that this, I think even kind of cult group followed in ancient Greece. But it was actually so brilliant. And it was this idea of pursuing pleasures that feel good now and after. Mm. So for me, pleasure isn't like getting a hit and a fix. Mm. It's not like I'm going to go and like you said, get that bottle of wine because tomorrow I won't feel good. Mm -hmm. It's doing things that actually not only have a beautiful effect in the moment where I'm getting that gratification and satisfaction, but then I also see improvements later on. So for example, later after this recording, I'm going to a pole dancing class. And pole, I, I know you're smiling because Steph and I come to pole together, we love it. But pole is such phenomenal pleasure for me because the class feels great in the moment, It's challenging. It's also really expressive. And then after, I feel so connected with my body. So for me, pleasure are those things that create this ripple effect in your life, where in the moment, they're satisfying, but then after you feel good. And this ties in with food, right? I know that if I eat a cookie tonight, it's going to feel great in the moment. And it'll feel great after. If I eat 10 cookies, it might feel okay in the moment, but then I'll probably feel sick after. So that's the whole approach I use to kind of teach people, you know, pleasure-based eating, body-based eating. It's easy to follow when you, you, your pursuit is I want to feel good now and also after. So Mm -hmm. hopefully that'll make sense because that whole Um, work changed my life.
0: (laughs) That was a very powerful response. (laughs) I'm going to be taking notes from that. And that's it just hit you like you hit the nail on the head and it's so powerful for people to have that approach. So how can we give people like, how can people give themselves a permission to do things like eat the cookie that they know, okay, one cookie is not going to make you feel gross in your body. But yes, 10 cookies with that much sugar is probably not going to feel so good because that's a lot of energy to process. That's probably more than like what your body would actually like to have. And then you're bypassing your body signals of like when you're full and when you're satisfied. So how can somebody get more pleasure from food in general and from the from the experience of eating, but also around the things that maybe in the past they've seen as the sins? Like yeah. there's that whole, oh my gosh, like wait, what's that program called? Where it's like the sit the, they have like sin food. I just think that's so, oh, is it Slimming World? Maybe. I think it's Slimming, slimming World yeah there's like the deadly sins or something of food like that is maybe it's a uk thing absolutely yeah. fucking wild to me like that it that is like the devil's work they're like labeling foods as sins and then making people feel so much guilt and shame like literally they're trying to use guilt and shame but that's how they get hooked in the cycle yeah. and still have to pay their monthly membership to go and be like embarrassed in front of everyone for weighing themselves anyway that we could get into into a whole other thing. But how can people start to experience more pleasure and give themselves permission to enjoy things that they maybe ha- would have labeled as, as wrong or bad in the past?
1: Yeah, beautiful.
0: So I think the number one thing is
1: to recognize that your body will give you signals when it has had enough of a, of a food. And I think this is important. I actually had a, a really sweet soul reach out to me in the DMS and super vulnerably just share that she's afraid she'll never stop eating. Like she's kind of at that place in her, she's had a history of restricting food and now she's on the binge end of that cycle. And she was saying, well, I'm really afraid I'll never stop eating. And all I pointed out to her was look, Does eating whatever you're eating all the time in these amounts, does it feel good? No, right? That's already your body telling you that it doesn't want to never stop eating. So that's the shift we have to realize is that our bodies are giving us signals. If you feel sick after you've eaten too much sugar or after you've eaten just too much food that day, like you've overeaten your dinner or whatever, Or if you've not eaten enough, these are all the signals that your body is giving you. Except the problem is we bypass that body signal and label it in our mind, right? So instead of just recognizing that, okay, this is just a sign that I ate more than my body was asking for, cool, tomorrow I'll pay attention and, you know, find that more of that point of satisfaction and and slow down. And this ties into what I'll talk about next, which is how we start doing that. Instead of just recognizing, okay, my body's not feeling good, that great, I've learned my lesson, we say, I was bad, I was, you know, I lost control, and we start creating, attaching guilt and shame, which then keeps us stuck in this spiral of controlling, restricting, and then losing control. So the number one thing is, your body is already speaking to you. How do you feel right now after your breakfast or your lunch or whatever you just ate? Like, seriously, if you're listening to this, how is your body feeling? Notice on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being absolutely ravenously hungry and 1 being satisfied, I don't need food, where are you right now? Like start asking yourself these questions and just check in with your stomach. Your stomach and your taste buds are the two things that are going to tell you when you are satisfied with the food because the taste actually starts to decline after a while. I've had a client even describe it as like her tongue starts to go numb. She doesn't enjoy that food, right? And your stomach is like, I'm full. I'm done. I don't want any more. So you just have to remember that, number one. And then getting more pleasure out of food. I always like to give this image of like the French woman (laughs) in Paris. The French woman in Paris, how is she eating her meals, right? She's not standing up, rushing, running from one thing to the next. No. Number one, she probably looks fabulous. (laughs) I also know I'm stereotyping here, but this was also always a really powerful visual for me. And hopefully it can be for other people. She probably slows down. She lets herself try different things, right? It's not like, you know, you have to have, I think in in North American culture, especially American culture, it's always like, okay, you're going to eat a salad. You're going to eat this huge salad and that'll be your thing, you know, or you're going to eat this like massive pile of vegetables. It's like, Well, yeah, what if you have vegetables in your meal, but what if you also have a piece of cheese and a piece of bread and a little bit of this? It's like letting yourself try different things, see what you're actually into, and then, of course, really enjoying it, really looking at each eating experience as an experience, sitting down, taking your time. Allowing yourself to breathe more deeply, actually breathe into your belly. Often when we're in those frantic eating or compulsive eating moments, we're breathing like so shallowly because we're feeling that guilt already, even before we've finished eating, right? So relaxing, activating that rest and digest, right? Through just really taking those moments to have a sigh and chew slowly, put your fork down between bites. Like It's basically just eating the way you would if you were in this fabulous restaurant in Paris with beautiful people all around you having the best conversation ever, where the food is there and it's fantastic and you're all enjoying it, but you're also enjoying the full experience. It's not just fueling your body, aka shoveling the food into your mouth as fast as possible, but it's also not only indulging and not eating things that really nourish you it's that beautiful in between so Mm -hmm. I like that visual of the fancy restaurant in Paris with beautiful people and great conversation for you it might be something else it might be being in a tropical island in Costa Rica maybe at a retreat dinner you know whatever it is for you but really imagine how can you create more of that peak dinner experience that feels just juicy and beautiful And make that more of your everyday, even if it is Mm. just sitting down, taking more time, chewing more, eating more slowly. These are all things that we can do to eat more sensually. And the more sensually we eat, eat, the more our body is aware, oh, I'm eating right now. So I had better activate my parasympathetic nervous system to absorb those nutrients and digest that food properly and metabolize it properly without holding on to excess energy because we're in that stress response, which is really the main way we end
0: up with excess weight so a hundred percent the visual for me that came through i really love the the fabulous woman i'm also thinking like emily in paris vibes (laughs) like but not the american emily like what's that woman i can't remember her they're like fabulous woman anyway what the visual came to me was kids because kids are experiencing their food they 're touching it they're smearing it all over themselves they're eating slowly they're looking around they're so present yeah. there's a reason why it's a it's a full body experience that includes you know a big mess and textures and tastes and smells as if they're experiencing it because oftentimes they are experiencing foods for the first time, bringing in that curiosity and that newness to food of imagine if I were eating this food for the first time in my mm. life how would I slow this down to be really present with it. Maybe this is the the first and only time I'm gonna experience this food. How would I engage with this piece of food, whether it is a piece of cauliflower or a little sweet or whatever it is. So I wanted to share that. And then the second piece around the stress response in the body, and this comes back to food and diet and the narrative, is that we've been taught as women, suck it in. Like posing for a photo, make sure you're sucking it in. We have trained our bodies to engage those ab muscles so tightly for our whole life that that is restricting the flow of breath and when we are breathing shallow only into our chest and when we're breathing rapidly and not in a full deep belly breath like babies breathe and their belly is expanding and dogs are breathing and you see their bellies rising and falling that's how we're supposed to be breathing but thanks to The magazines and society we've been told to hold in and that is restricting the flow of oxygen into our body. And that is restricting us from getting into the parasympathetic response, which is required for healthy and optimal digestion and for optimal health. So we have to give ourselves permission to release the belly and that can be so challenging for women to allow that belly to expand with each breath out that was hard for me to to really let go of and not judge myself and not feel like other people were judging me as well for just breathing normally but it's wild 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 yeah and
1: i think you know just if that if it's still an edge for you at like we were talking about experimentation do it at home, right? Mm -hmm. You still find it really hard to do it when you're out and about and you notice yourself, at least try it out at home. Notice how much better you feel, right? Again, these were little things that you get to try piece by piece, step by step. And then eventually it will become not just something you're doing, but a way you're being, right? But it's like, Mm -hmm. let yourself experiment and see how different you feel.
0: Mm, so powerful. One more thread I wanted to touch on from the client message or the, the beautiful woman that reached out to, to the DMs saying, I have this fear that I'll never stop eating if I allow myself. It's the same thing with people feeling their emotions and why they suppress their emotions, which all ties back into food, is people are fearful. If I allow myself to feel the sadness or if I allow myself to cry, if i allow myself to feel the pain i'm fearful that i will get stuck in that and i'll never stop feeling those feelings and that's just not true it's the same thing once you once you sit in it and you have the tools and you learn how to engage with these emotions just like how you learn how to engage with food you live from this empowered place so it's just i'm loving the correlations that we can keep tying back between emotions food just everything that we've tied together so beautifully here because it is all so connected and so powerful. So let's dive into a little more of like actionable tips. How can people calm down their body? How can people activate that parasympathetic, that rest and digest state when they are engaging with food and to get more pleasure from the the things that they're already doing, the the food that they're already eating? How can people like what are some actionable tips that people can start experimenting with on a daily basis?
1: Yes, I love it. Okay, well, like I touched on in in the previous response, I think the one of the best things you can do is sit down at a table, because how many of us rush through our eating? We're either standing up. I used to pretty much only eat my breakfast standing up. Like I would just eat a piece of toast and then move on because it was part of getting ready for the day, you know. And I it was just such a routine, and I or didn't even realize at the time oh, this breakfast isn't actually enough. And no wonder it was setting me up to have these binge urges later on because it was so much just part of a robotic routine that I was doing that I didn't realize I'm not getting satisfaction. This 100 calorie piece of toast clearly isn't enough to fuel my entire morning where I'm probably doing my most creative mental work, right? And so then later on, I would feel this deprivation. So sitting down, allows you to feel more at rest, right? And it keeps your body from being in this stressed, like activated, I'm about to go do something state. So please mm-hmm. everyone, as much as possible for an experiment, even if you're used to you know, having your meals on the go or eating quickly, even with snacks too. Like yesterday, I was about to make dinner, but I noticed that I was kind of hungry. I'd just gone on a walk with our dog and I realized I don't have enough brain power to make dinner. I actually need a mm-hmm. snack before I make dinner. And I just got a piece of cheese and an apple and I could have been eating it while I was making dinner, but I said, no, I need a moment to digest this properly and to really just like pause because eating also gets to be this beautiful moment of pause and relaxation in our day. And so many of us will reach the end of the day and feel like we need, you know, sweets or we feel these urges to binge on food because we didn't actually allow that the eating moments that we had in our day to feel like relief and rest, which they're supposed to feel like. So sitting down, I love the advice that you were also sort of corroborating about sighing and taking a pause before you eat. And you shared something on the live about gratitude and taking that moment right before we eat. How many cultures and religions have some kind of prayer that you say before meals? And something that I was saying in the live was that This is not just cultural. This is physiological, right? It actually helps our body transition from the day-to-day doing things, busyness, maybe a little bit reaching more towards that fight or flight, kind of in that in-between zone into a full rest and digest. Okay, I'm here. I'm present. So that's another beautiful thing. And I love telling people as they're eating their food take a moment to sigh every so often or just go because when you're doing that, you're actually vibrating your vagus nerve, which needs to be um, activated to stimulated rather to get you into the rest and digest. And then of course, I think it's choosing the foods that you want to eat and really enjoying them with your five senses. You were talking a lot about, you know, and noticing textures and smells. And I love the comparison you said about like, the organic banana, or like the the local banana versus the banana that flew somewhere from far away. I have a similar story. Recently, I so one of my favorite flavors of ice cream is mint chocolate chip. And I hadn't had it all summer. And it was on sale at the grocery store. And I bought it and I brought it home and I took a got a bowl of it ready. And I took a bite and I was like, this is disgusting. And then I looked at the package. And I realized that it was like, one of those, it wasn't exactly ice cream, it was labeled as frozen dessert. So I feel like they can only use ice cream when it has a certain proportion of like cream and milk. And this one had more filler in it. And it's still sitting in my freezer because I'm like, it's not that good. So another thing with eating, sometimes when we're mindlessly eating, we're eating things we don't even really like, but we're just shoving things into our mouth because it's become this robotic exercise. So really start ha- create thinking about creating your best bite. If there's something that you're eating on your plate that you're like, this is really satisfying, have more of that. If there's something else that you're like, this isn't really hitting the spot, don't have more of it, you know maybe save it for later. maybe tomorrow it will feel good. or if it's something like that crappy ice cream that I bought that isn't good, I'll probably end up throwing it up throwing it out unfortunately, right? That doesn't happen very often. but it was just the kind of thing that I'm realizing now that I'm so much more, aware of the quality of my food with this practice of sensual eating, it's very easy for me to realize this is not not actually nourishing. It's not satisfying. Probably all of the chemicals in it are just making my body react in this weird way. So I think using your five senses to really enjoy your food and recognize what's tasting extra good right now, what's feeling really satisfying right now, Do I want an extra serving of the potatoes or do I want more salad tonight? Because that's feeling really refreshing and and letting your body kind of take over like that child who's experiencing those foods. And maybe one day it's like the salad is actually tasting the best and maybe another day it's the hot dog, you know, whatever they're eating, but realizing that every day gets to be different. So those are a few things I could say more, but I feel like that's already a lot for people to kind of start working with
0: (laughs) yeah it's really powerful like even the sighing and the humming and the sounding out before eating a meal can really transform the way that you experience a meal because you get dropped back into your body you start to be more present you can start to be more mindful about each bite and the gratitude piece is really powerful how often do we take a pause to almost just give thanks and gratitude to the farmers and the producers and the people who it's their life's work to grow and source and share and distribute this food that we get to eat. And can you taste the difference between different qualities or different produce? So for instance, my favorite thing is Costa Rica bananas are those delicious, like small, almost like chody little <laughs> bananas, what? but they are so sweet and so packed with flavor that this tiny little banana is satisfying and it's sweet enough that you're done afterwards. Like it's so full of flavor. That's actually how bananas are supposed to be, but then they genetically engineered bananas to be bigger, Del Monte, whatever the brand is, and then they start shipping them around the world. but. Now other bananas, I'm like, ew, like they just don't taste as good to me. And yeah. so I like to tune into the, the quality of the food is important, Yeah, but really it's your, your presence and your intentionality with it. So really engaging. And I always love to recommend to, to women and to clients, a perfect way to start this is with your beverages. It's so mm-hmm. easy to do. So with your coffee, I love to drink cacao. So I really am intentional with my beverages, I will feel the temperature of the mug. I will start to smell the aroma of the cacao or of the coffee. As I'm tasting it, I'll start to see what can I taste in this? Another example is with curries or with things where there's, it's about soups where there's many different ingredients. Can you really tune in to the subtleties of the different flavors and ingredients that are in the meal that you're eating? And what herbs and what spices are in there? Because you do have that ability, just like wine professionals can taste the different notes in a glass of wine. That's a skill that can be developed. And it's the same thing with food. Can you really be present to see, wow, in this curry today, because a great thing with curries is those spices actually develop over time. Mm-hmm. So if you're making something and then you're gonna eat it the next day, how does, it, how does it taste different? And this can be a fun game that you can play with the people in your life, your kids, your family, your partner, your friends, of what can you taste in this, in this delicious dish and how can we just slow it down? Some other things that I love to share with people is doing the gratitude practice, really breathing slowly, just taking a few moments to kind of shake off the day and get into the present moment. Putting on some calming music is really powerful to classical music or non-lyrical music or like chill kind of spa music that's not gonna distract you but that is going to facilitate you dropping into the present moment so you can be really present with your food and actually enjoy it. That's how you can start to be able to listen to your body signals. If you're on, you know, texting somebody, you're voice noting somebody at the same time as eating at the same time as you've got the TV on in the background, you physically cannot listen to your signals from your body. Yeah. You have to create a space where you have the capacity to listen to your body signals. So. There are some tips for us into how to weave more pleasure into your food. And pleasure really is being in the present moment and connecting to your senses and engaging your senses. It is as simple as that. And it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And so pleasure is the doorway to getting your body into this recovery response. And when you're focusing on having more pleasure, this is how you can really regulate Your body this is how you can regulate your emotions this is how you can regulate your eating and your food skills and that's how you can end up regulating your your weight and your body's place that it is in because your body has a natural way of being if you can slow down and trust and connect and find pleasure you can trust that your body's you will regulate back to its natural state of being which is obviously a process and a journey so Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom. I have a few questions that I'm gonna ask you to wrap this up, but is there anything else that you would love to share or love to just drop before we close out for today? Yeah, I think one, one thing I just
1: wanna mention as well, because there is, so with pleasure, we've been focusing a lot on pleasure with food. But one thing I wanna share as well is that my part of healing my relationship with food was also focusing a little bit less on food and looking for other moments of pleasure in my life because I think that sometimes with all the tips we're sharing and how you know it's it's almost like you're going from eating in 2d to 3d when you start these practices of eating more sensually you can easily turn that into like another obsession where it's like Mm -hmm. I have to always give myself 45 minutes and sit down and be a hundred percent relaxed and I can never check my foot and it can become this other form of, of rules. And so another thing I want to share, and this is why in my programs and in my work, we always, everything we do, it's always like 50%. Yeah, we're focusing on the food because diet culture has really messed up our relationship with food. But the other 50% is like your lifestyle outside of food and how satisfied you're feeling in in your life and how much joy and enjoyment you're getting out of other things. Like what you were saying about with, you know, you needed to do that breath work. It wasn't that you needed to get the cookies or the wine. How else can we fill that void? I think a lot of women are really deprived of pleasure and enjoyment because not just from food and the diet culture stuff, but also the hustle culture productivity overachieving culture where we're not having moments of genuine enjoyment and restfulness and relaxation and and satisfaction in our day. So I also want to say, if you're listening to this and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed about this process of relating to food, also recognize that 50% of your recovery, of your weight stabilization, of your healing journey is going to be just creating the life. So I like to say it as the life you would have when you stopped waiting on the weight. So a lot of us think once our weight is perfect, our life will be perfect. Well, what if instead you started looking at what are the changes I can make in my life now that maybe I envision would naturally happen when my weight got to that goal place? As someone who did hit my goal weight at one point and then got very ill and my life didn't become perfect, I just want to let you know that you know, it's not a guarantee that when you get to a certain weight, your life is going to be perfect. But that process of brainstorming where you're like, all these things will change. How can you just start going after those things now? If it's something in your dating life, if it's something in your home decor, right? If it's something in the way you're moving your body, if it's activities you want to try, like go do that dance class, right? Go do that cooking class, go on those dates and, you know, try, try those things that you think you'll have the courage or ability to do when your body is perfect now, because that's that other 50% of the process that I think women are often missing. Cause they get so fixated on. If I fix this one thing, everything's going to be perfect. And it's like, no, actually everything will be perfect, but you have to be looking at all of those things you want to create and intentionally go after them as well. And when I said at the beginning, when I healed my relationship with my body, everything you know, became, like all my dreams came true in my life. It was because I stopped letting my body be in the way of
0: pursuing those things. So that was a big piece of it as well. Mm, yes, boom, powerful. And I think we have obviously focused a lot on food in this episode. The key takeaway for everyone is drop the labels, drop the yeah. rules, drop the shaming and drop the guilting and just be. The more that you get into your body and focus on pleasure in every area of life, food is one area that you can really focus on pleasure, but bringing pleasure into every single area of life and focusing on that joy and happiness and fulfillment from everything you do, things can really start to start to shift from that place. And I just wanted to mention lastly on this kind of part of my story is I'm similar, similar threads that I have been like the skinniest I've ever been and felt so uncomfortable in my body. And the gift that I received over the last few years was I actually was the biggest that I had ever been and found the most self-love and self-acceptance for my body. And now in the last few months, my body has finally been resetting to its natural way of being. Like I said, I'm working out the least that I've ever worked out, but I'm so in tune with my body. I'm so in tune with my emotions. I'm so in love with myself and my body where it where it is and I loved my body when it was at its biggest that was where I found that deep love and then it's like the body then has permission of like okay we've got there to that self-acceptance now we're in this parasympathetic this rest and digest you're doing all the things you're in a good space 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 now the body resets yeah so it's actually very common that this is the case and this is why we see this body positivity movement of women who are in bigger bodies, but who are fucking loving their bodies, it's because they've gone on that journey. And then naturally the body can start to reset from that place. And it's so beautiful and so powerful. And there's always a gift in the the struggles and the troubles and the challenges. And oftentimes when it comes to body, this is a common thread for women. So wanted to share that as well. I love that. So my last questions for you are, I love to ask these questions. What are you celebrating in life right now? Let me celebrate you in this moment. Oh, I love this. Well, honestly, I'm I'm just celebrating
1: uh, kind of having a little bit of a rebirth of the, of the work I do. I haven't always focused on food in my work online. And after last year, I just had this moment where I realized how much of a need there was for it. And I finally was able to muster up the courage to share more about my past, because I think the biggest thing that had been blocking me from going all in on food and body image, and I'd always talked about the body and our relationship with our body, and I'd been focusing more on the piece of, you know, your period and your cycle and your hormones, because obviously with my story, losing my period, that was a big piece of it. But another huge piece of it was food. So I'm just celebrating you know, being able to step into that fully and reclaiming the struggles and the suffering that I went through. I found a post that I had made a couple of years ago that said, it was actually really funny. It was sort of like, I guess I just had this like really confident moment where I made this post that said, every time I'm going through something, I I think I'll get paid for this someday. <laughs> And I I just like put that post out there. And it was true, because at that time, my business was built on struggles I had been through, and then helping people through it and kind of getting paid for that. And it's like, now I'm really making that true, because some of the darkest, most horrific moments of my life where I truly was worst health ever, you know, told my body was shutting down, feeling completely out of control with food, thinking I would be binge eating for the rest of my life and like envisioning a future where I would just have to make space for that somehow and then getting completely recovered from that and realizing this is finally the the other side of it where I get to help people through it. So I'm just celebrating coming to that place and really, really sharing more openly and, mm. and, and attracting more women into my world who have been struggling with this as well. Because my number one focus is let's get you free from this struggle. It's so unnecessary. It's unfortunate that so much media and social media
0: perpetuates it, but we can completely break out of it. I'm celebrating that so much with you right now and I'm loving the shift and the fresh energy and the, the power and confidence that's coming through from this new direction. So I'm, I'm celebrating you as well and it's really cool to see and this work is so needed. So I'm very grateful that you're sharing your, your gift with the world. I'd love to know what is something that is bringing you pleasure right now?
1: Ooh, honestly, going on walks with my puppy. <laughs> it's just it's she's first of all she's adorable she's insane but she's adorable (laughs) and just creating this really nice routine that's actually the thing I do to transition from my work day into then getting ready for dinner and kind of having the the evening and I love what a nourishing and pleasurable experience it is because again it's that thing that feels good in the moment and then it feels great after because I get some movement in my day. I get to transition from my work day into, okay, now we're going on our evening walk, which is usually this whole thing. And, and then kind of move into the more like, this is the part of the day that's for me and it's about relaxation and just about family and, and home. And yeah, so that's just, been, it, that's just been such a beautiful part of my routine and giving me so much pleasure and I look forward to it every single day.
0: I love that. Something I always say to myself is you'll never regret a dog walk. Even in the moments where it's like, I don't want to go. The, I mean, the the joy that I get from watching my dogs just experience, they are pleasure beings. It is so powerful. It's such a great way to connect with joy and pleasure is through animals. So I love that also. And obviously this whole episode has been about this next question, but to summarize in a few words, what is something that you wish every woman or every human being on the planet would know or experience?
1: Oh, just that sense of working in partnership with your body instead of fighting against it or feeling like you have to be in control of it. There, I had an, I, I used to offer a coaching program. I basically offer, I've always kind of offered the same coaching program, but it's just gone by different names (laughs) because I've always kind of done the same thing in terms of helping women reconnect with their body uh, with slightly different focuses over the years, obviously. But my coaching program used to be called Mind and Matter because I actually found last year this piece of paper that had what was called thinspo back then like inspiration to be thin and i had written out as a teenager all of these quotes that were supposed to motivate me to like lose weight and be skinny and one of them was mind over matter and what i believe is that the number one thing i've had to shift in my mindset and my approach to life food body is that it's mind and matter yes mindset is important but the matter is also important and we were given bodies to Work with, not to fight against. Our bodies have certain needs that maybe are inconvenient sometimes. Maybe sometimes you're like, I wish I didn't have to sleep as much as I do because I'd rather be doing other things. Or, wow, I wish I didn't have to exercise because I'd rather be working on my business or working on these other things. But it's like, okay, stop thinking that way and recognize your body does have these needs. And the more that you allow yourself to meet those needs, and the more that you can see that. You know, your body is not doing this because it's out to get you. It's there to give you something. You realize, wow, thank, thanks to getting that sleep, I've ha- I'm in the best mood ever today. Thanks to ha- doing that exercise that my body was asking for, going for that walk, doing that movement, going to that dance class, I'm feeling more creatively refreshed than I was before. So recognizing, like, meeting your body's needs are actually going to support your mind and allowing your mind to be in that positive, like you said, high vibrational state will also support your body. So it's a partnership. So I really want people mm. to recognize that it's a partnership. It's not one over the other. It's, it's They're meant to work together.
0: Mm, super powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And I also had Thinspo. I think even... Like I think around like 2013, 2014, even into 2015, perhaps I still had that mindset and that mentality. So not that long ago. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but it's just wild because that's still obviously in my, in my adult years, but thank you, Sarah. I've loved this conversation. I feel like this is going to be super powerful for so many people as it's food and body is something that I think every woman has had her own struggles with. So I'm really excited for people to dive in and experience the juiciness and the depth of this episode. So if people are interested and want to experience your magic, more of it, where can they find you? Yay.
1: So you can find me on Instagram at the luminous body. And I would love you, if you resonated with this episode, to go right to the link in my bio and grab my free pleasure fed body guide. It goes over some of the things that we talked about to really allow pleasure to guide your eating and also to recognize that the more pleasurable your eating is, the more your body's gonna be able to heal. So that's just a great guide with five steps to, to, for you to keep. Cause I know you'll listen to a podcast episode, maybe you're on a walk, maybe you're driving, and then you hear some good things. But then, I mean, I don't really write notes from podcasts usually, so you might forget some of the things. So just to have like a PDF guide that's available for you on your desktop whenever you need it, um, I think that would be really beneficial to keep these points in mind. So yeah, at The Luminous Body, and please, if you have questions or want to comment on anything feel free to DM me. I've been having so much fun in the DMs with people lately because again, like I'm reaching new people and welcoming in all these women who are struggling with these things and we're all being more open about it than ever before. And I just, I just think the more we remove the shame from these topics, the faster we're all going to heal. So I love talking about this stuff. Feel free to, to reach out and yeah,
0: share, share
1: anything or ask a question
0: love that go and find sarah go and get the guide send us a dm let us know what you have loved from this and of course feel free to leave a review and let us know what you loved about this episode that's super helpful as well Thank you. Sarah, I have loved this conversation so much and we'll connect deeper. I'm sure we'll have another episode coming out on cycles and hormones and all of those sorts of things. But thank you so much and hope everyone has a beautiful rest of their day. Thank you, Steph. Thanks, everyone.